Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Trina Hill, who is the Senior Vice President of Technology for the Consumer Bank and Treasury at Synchrony. She's responsible for, for providing strategy and overall execution for the bank and treasury, including payments and products for a fintech. Trina spent over 20 years driving transformation in the areas of payments, new product development, disaster recovery, business continuity, system security, and simplification. In addition to her role, Trina continues to serve in employee resource groups, specifically the African-American network. She is also heavily involved in Girls Who Code. Trina holds a Bachelor's of Business Administration in Management Information Systems and an MBA in Leadership and Business Administration from the University of Georgia. She also holds, holds numerous certifications in the areas of Agile, Disaster Recovery, Business Continuity, Program Management and Coaching. She loves learning and providing coaching to not only her peers, but the University of Georgia mentees and so many others. Trina has a heart for others which shines through her service. She serves as a board advisor for Working Women Worship, a nonprofit organization focused on the spiritual and professional development of women. She's also a philanthropist. So without any further ado, hello, Trina, and welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast. How are you today? Hello, thank you. I'm great. I'm great. Thank you, uh, listen, for, for having me on your podcast. It is, it is an honor um, to just be with you and to be in your presence. I I'm always uh, admiring your great work in this space. So, so thank you. Thank you, Trina. I appreciate that. And, uh, and that's actually how Trina and I originally connected. She had heard one of the previous episodes and, uh, and we connected and started talking from there. And I was actually inspired by the, the work that she was doing at Synchrony Bank. And I thought someone who is uh, transforming an organization, it was what 16,000 person bank that you work at right now. So about 80 years in existence, but then a fast growing fintech at the same time, who's transforming and modernizing um, at a time where the industry is really racing forward with startups kind of medium-sized companies and then you've got the large uh, you know hundreds of year old banks that you're also trying to kind of compete with it all at the same time yeah we uh we, we are very unique startup um and i uh admire our our leadership and, and really the vision of the company but more importantly connor you know we really focus on diversity inclusion and belonging um you know through this pandemic i think we've had multiple pandemics from racial issues to the actual pandemic educational pandemic, we've been in the forefront of just continuing to lead the way and making sure that we are creating spaces for all of our employees to feel comfortable, safe, and quite frankly, to belong. 
I love that. So this is extremely fitting for uh, what we look to talk about here on this podcast. It's for everyone who's listening, a chance for them to learn about other initiatives that are ongoing, programs that work, things that maybe haven't worked that we need to try and uh, try and improve. Uh, and, and also just opening up and, and hearing people's stories, uh, e- even as such as, I guess the first story we can start with is, I've given a, a decent uh, intro to you there, but I would love a bit more of, a, of a, an insight into what has your journey been through tech and through financial services that you've ended up as a senior vice president at Synchrony? What's got you to this position? I will tell you one word, um, faith. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As a African-American born in the South, um, sitting in tech, right? Oftentimes the only Black woman in the room, oftentimes the only woman in the room. um, I I would lie to you and tell you that it has been an easy journey. It has not been, Um, but it has been my faith that has sustained me uh, through it all. Um, because it it can be daunting and it can be easy to walk away, but every journey, every trial, every tribulation that I've gone through has continued to just build my character, as well as others that are watching me navigate these spaces, um, and others that have come behind me, right, and, and really giving them a blueprint on really what to do as well as what not to do. So it's been an interesting journey. I, I wouldn't trade anything for it, but it definitely has been been grounded in my faith. Um, in my belief in God, because everything that I do is centered around that. That's amazing to hear. And and I, I agree in the sense that it's you, you've got to this position and then you're also a, a leader and, and a mentor to others. So it, it's it's we start somewhere. We we need someone to to be that first person in the room at times. And and that's the uh, the kind of the intersectionality that you also face, where you are a woman who experiences the lack of representation for women in general in technology and in that financial services space, and also an African American person. You combine those two, and then you have two separate or or double binded um, issues, if you will, and and different challenges that come with your own personal background of trying to be included, trying to belong. So you have to then represent, open the door for others to come after you, but also have to deal with a lot internally, I'm sure, to actually continue pushing forward at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but I will say the beauty is, you know, as I mentor and pour into other people, I also have my board of directors of people who have gone into either similar rooms or even some of the same rooms who've done the very same thing for me that I'm doing for other people. So having a place where we can have honest conversations about what's happening, and I'll be honest, Connor, my board of directors is not just all Black women. It is a diverse board of directors um, that I have where I can get different perspectives on how to navigate um, these spaces and then definitely leverage those same those same insights uh, as I coach and, and mentor individuals as well as they're going through similar things in a different time. That's interesting. So when you say the board of directors, are we specific, are we meaning literally the board of directors in Synchrony, your current company, or a board of directors you've kind of put together as your your advisors in your own life? Yes. Yeah, so it's 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 the latter. It's the the board of directors that are the people that are championing me, pushing me, holding me accountable for greatness, and also people who are calling me on the carpet when I'm wrong. Right. Okay. It's yeah. my truth tellers. Right. It's those people saying, "No, that's you read that situation wrong." Or, hey, you really do need to go after this opportunity. You may not feel like you're ready, but you've been ready. So go for it, right? It's this group of people who are bought into, I, I call it the Trina, Trina Hill brand, if you will, <laughs> right? Because we're all a brand, whether we want to or not. We're, they bought into my story my, my, and my future, 
they bought into me and they want to see me win. That's amazing. So, how, how do you um, put, so I, I guess, so, uh, is this, do these people, do they know that they're in the Trina Hill gang, that they're, they're part of your support group? Or sometimes is it informal, like, you know, just, you've got a good friendship and they support one another. Which kind of way do you normally go about it, that? It's a combination of both. Um, there, there are some people who um, are a part of my group and they know that, hey, you're a part of my, look, I'm adopting you as kind of my advisor in this area. And then there are other people that it just kind of happens organically. Maybe I meet them like I met you, Connor, and we start a conversation and we build a relationship and we figure out, hey, where do I get to, you know, where are opportunities I can pour into you and where are opportunities that you can pour into me? Because again, at the end of the day, we want each other to win. Um, and, and let me also say my board of directors are not just professional people. I have, you know, I have people who are, are mothers. Um, I am a mother. I am a wife, right? Um, I, I am also a caregiver of aging parents. Uh, so I, I, you know, my tagline, I tell people I'm more than the seat I'm, I occupy. So yes, I am a senior vice president in technology, but I also occupy these different seats that encompass the, the core of who I am. And so as my son was going through being a, a black boy, um, going through uh, the time when we were dealing with George Floyd and, and that incident had happened, of course, I'm going through my own emotions and things and he's going through his things, but I sought counsel from my board of a woman who has sons that are way older than my son just to say, hey, let me bounce this off of you. Why I don't need to figure it out when I can get advice from some from someone else or get a perspective that will help me add value and meet him where he is. Right. Because this is the first time we've had an experience like this before. But I leverage my board for not just work stuff. I also leverage it for life because this is life. Work is a part of your life. It is it should not be your life. It's a part of your life. And so I think it's important for us all to have a board of directors. Some people may call it your mentor. Some people may call it your coaches. Some people may call it, um, you know, we use this kind of sponsorship, you know, loosely depending on the environment. But I think we all need a community of people who are wiser than us. It doesn't necessarily mean they're older than we are, but they have great wisdom in certain areas where we can tap into that to help us be better and to also expedite the learning, right? Why am I, why yes. am I taking five years to learn something about podcasting when I could probably just pick up the phone and call someone, right? And they, they would be more than happy to help me. Exactly. It's like the, the answers are actually out there for a lot of things. It's like, you know, we're, yes. we're not solving rocket science or, or solve even like world peace. There's a lot of things we're not doing right now, right? We're, we're working in jobs where yes, it's leadership or yes, it's technology. Yes. It's life outside of work or it's everything like life as a whole, like you mentioned, what a great example of what speaking to another, uh, another mother. And she had, mm -hmm. she had, it's not even that they have the answers. It's that a sounding board, a brainstorming yes. place. And also I think sometimes it's not even that someone else has, uh, can tell you something better. It might be that you have a great or a great solution, but you haven't yet kind of tested your, your thesis with somebody else. And mm -hmm. just that experience mm -hmm. of, I think validation and knowing, okay, I'm actually right, but I wasn't sure if what I was doing was right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Or they may say, no, you're wrong. Right. I mean, it's a perspective that they're going to bring to you that forces you to stop and for you to think. Um, and there's trust there. So, you know, that if they give you the feedback, it's not ill will. It's it's good intention. So. So, yeah. 
That's right. right. It's exactly. <laughs> I think that when you're finding this group, like you've put it in a really nice way, like your board of directors, but for those listening, yes, we're talking about mentors and sponsors and friends, right? Just mm-hmm. close people in your life that you trust and can, and you can support one another. I like the way you put it that, you know, you both want each other to win. You know, it's the, there's a mutual interest here. So if you're a coach of a sports team, you're not going to go to the changing rooms or the locker rooms during the, the halftime play and, and then say, everyone's doing great. Like, don't worry about fixing anything. You're going to say you screwed up here, but we can fix it. And I screwed Mm -hmm. up in this area. You should think about that. So being able to just admit that things aren't always perfect. And actually the really good point you made, which was telling you when you're not doing things right. Like Trina, you're spinning out of control or like, you know, this is a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Things are better than you realize, but you haven't yet had a chance to have some perspective. And especially I think when you're in a position as a leader, like you are, you have so you have so many people that rely on you for knowledge, but you don't always have people who are uh, more senior or more experienced that can say this is actually the way you should do it. And that really stems on to the next point I was going to ask you, which is as a senior executive, how besides now this point you've already made with the board of directors, how do you continue to learn and grow? Yeah, it, I'm intentional. Um, what what I recognize is I cannot pour out what I do not have. Right. So I'm intentional about making sure I stay up to, you know, up to date on technology or to be honest, even different leadership strategies. We're going through a very interesting time right now um, in in our country where we have a massive amount of people that are leaving corporate America in droves. Some people are jumping from company to company. The leadership style, you may have to flex it. Right. As my job as a leader, I am a servant first. How do I serve and give my employees, which I really call my family members, by the way, how do I help them continue to be success, success, sorry, successful? How do I help, what do I need to do for them, right? Is it I check in with them and say, hey, how are you doing? There are some that, are, that, that may need that. There are some that may, hey, I need to go and spend, you know, two days away and take care of my parent, okay? I will adjust your work schedule and we'll go do that. I'm constantly asking myself, what tools and tips can I continue to grow and enhance or even just change to serve them? Because that, that, that is my job. My job is to make sure that I'm pouring into them, that I am removing roadblocks for them, for them to continue to be successful. Um, in addition to making sure that they're clear on the division and as where we're going, right? Because you working and you don't know where you're going is really a waste of time but making sure we're consistent and we're clear on where we're going, what we're doing and the way we're going to do it as I support them in whichever way that, that they need it. So I, yeah, I, I can see that. I, well, I, I've seen it myself personally, but from everyone I speak to here on the podcast, it's, there's a lot of intentionality needed uh, with the new way of working or that you know, we, we've moved into this different era. I don't think we're going back to the way we were before. And instead of, trying to use older methods that worked in the past when we had everybody in one office or in in multiple office locations, we now have to look away from the control aspect and now really elevate that the fact that pe- people are actual humans that have lives and, yes. and the, the combination of how do we balance work and life and realize that we can get more outcomes and productivity from people in a healthy way if we actually remember that they're human give them what they need to like and i I really like the fact that you've you've mentioned servant leadership and the the fact that it's actually you're not there they're not your team isn't there to make you 
successful and make you look good. Your role is to actually serve them and to make sure yes. they have everything they need. And then if you imagine it from an organizational perspective, the whole organization grows and improves and gets better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, we're humans. We're all adults. <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, I, I, there was a quote, I can't remember who said it, but he said, this, this gentleman said, he said, if you treat me like a child, then I will perform like a child. If you treat me like an adult, then I will perform as an adult. And so, you know, even with people being in offices before, I think, you know, there was this notion that if I don't see you, you're not working. Well, you know people who are not working. We all know them, <laughs> right? They walk around the office and they, they entertain or interrupt other people who are working, right? Um, and so to me, it's time for us as leaders to make sure that we are treating people as adults. And with that, right, is accountability, but there's also grace. And it's also us stepping in to say, again, going back to the earlier point is how do I serve you so that you can then in turn serve our, our organization, right? I'm, I want you to work the way it works for you where you are. Exactly. You, it doesn't, the location you're at isn't going to determine the amount of work you can do. It's on us as leaders to give people the, the firstly, the, the outcomes that we need to achieve, share the accountability right. on that, like the way we go about setting that goal or that, that objective and then remove as many roadblocks as we can and give people the tools and the platforms and, and whatever they need around them, the support to mm -hmm. hit that, that shared goal that gets That's us right. to move forward. And a lot of the other parts, I, I post about this this week on LinkedIn where I'm like, there's a lot of things we're talking about that aren't actually addressing the main point. We're trying to grow and to set objectives that we can achieve. And we're all thinking like, is it the office? Is it not? Like if some people need an office space, then yes, the company should provide that a, a healthy working environment for that person. If they don't, maybe they live in a small uh, home with, with not, you know, with lots of family members, it's not uh, conducive to doing working from home. So sure, there's going to be a place we can provide to that person and give them the environment they need. But we're not, we're not focusing on the fact that it's not exactly where they're working. That's important. It's how they're working, what they need to do their job. That's yes. really the goal, right? And then if people are treated, I think that great point you made there of it's, we kind of treated people like children before. Like, if you look at how organized, all, all of us were doing it this way. Like companies were like, we're going to have you similar to at university or at school where you're like kind of put in this place and we're going to make, make sure you're doing it. We're going to put all these controls around you to make sure you're doing what you're doing. Now we have to really like breathe as a society and be like, this is a different world. You don't know what people are doing. We don't need to track the, the, the times and the hours you're doing it. We need to make sure that you are getting to the end point. And then how do you get to the end point where we'll work on that part together and give you what you need? Yeah, and, and I, I will say this is what my fifth or sixth company. So um, I will say we've always had the flexibility. Um, so what I do read like number of posts of different companies and just kind of the stringency that they've had in their culture around people having a butt in a seat. Um, I've been lucky enough to work for an organization that was flexible before, right? And, and understood that, hey, you know, there are going to be some days where you're not going to be in the office because you need to go do what you need to do for you and your family. And, and the organization supports that, um, whereas others definitely wanted to see, see butts and seats. But it's more, I think, leaders need to understand, really companies and, and large leaders of, of these companies need to understand it's not just about the location where you work. It's a combination of things. 
it's, and we're all asking this question, right? COVID forced us all to, to pause and to say, number one, am I working on things that I'm passionate about? Yes or no? Am I working with people that I like and that like me and respect me and it's a family environment or it's, it's the type of environment that I need and it's the type of people I wanna work with? Um, does the culture align with my values? Does my, I'm gonna say boss in this because all bosses are not leaders. There are some that are managers, right? And there is a distinct difference. Do I, do I connect with my boss? Do I trust my boss? Do I think my boss has my best interest, right? Am I paid fairly, right? Those are the five key questions. It is not necessarily that I can come into an office or not. I think that probably hits six or seven, depending on the day. But if you're happy with who you work with, you, your company values align with your values, you have a great boss, you have a great team, we'll work out where you're working. And if you're working on things you're passionate about, you're, you're gonna have joy every single day you come to work. Now, every day, every moment won't be great, like you're happy all the time, but you'll have joy in your work. At the end of the day, we all want to be valued, but we wanna work with people that we enjoy. We wanna work on things that we enjoy. We wanna work in companies that, that add value to not only our lives from a paycheck perspective, but help us also, right? Just help us grow and, and be better humans and to impact our communities. Genuinely, we all want that if we really take a step back. And so companies now have to think about what do their employees really need in understanding it's not one size that fits all, right? That, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, right? ex exactly. The, the, those five questions you asked were, were bang on point. They're, that's exactly it. It's not about the office or, or not the office. It's so much mm -hmm. more. And that is the reason we're going through this great resignation. And it's the reason we've right. got the war on talent, all of these, these big phrases we're using to describe it. But it is because people are like, uh, what do I care about right now? Like I've spent right. maybe two months and then you know, the early part of the pandemic, people like I spent two months at home and I looked at my life, my family, I assessed everything in a different way. I haven't been able to travel internationally, all these different things people may haven't, haven't, haven't had. Um, that's one big example, traveling internationally. There's obviously much bigger things people have to deal with as well. Um, but it's just the fact that we were able to have this moment of introspect and that, and that breathing yes. point. And then we also saw other people taking things like going to start their own company or going to you know, get that promotion or going to another company for, like you said, it could be more money, better boss or an actual leader instead of a manager. The list yes. goes on, but that's really opened it up. And I think really we're, we're having off the back of a pretty tough, uh, we could almost say nearly two years now we've had this kind of like awesome moment where the, the, the people, the workers have had this empowerment to go and get what they want. And it's like the, yeah. the, the power is in their hands right now. Yeah. And, and I, I've had several conversations um, with people about that perspective. Uh, and and I, I do agree that there's definitely a shift, but what I will say is if you have a good company with leaders and you care about your people, and you help support them. Everything won't be perfect, but you create a space where they feel like they add value and you see them, usually they're not gonna take a call. And if they feel like they're being treated fairly, right? I think, and you talked about the great resignation. I, I heard someone say it's a great reflection, which I think really, you right, shows where we are. It's, it's not just about jumping from job to job for most people. It's about jumping to a place or going to a place 
where they are. Um, Caroline um, Wanga has this quote that is like my quote of the year. And she says, if you can't be where you are, she said, if you can't be who you are, where you are, don't change who you are, change where you are. I like that. Right? Yeah. Change where you are. And so I think that, that, that right now it's people understanding you get to choose. So you can choose if you want to stay here and work in an environment that may not work for you and maybe even your family or, or whatever, or you can choose to go somewhere else. And I think most people didn't think they really had a choice until now, right? They now understand they have a choice and the choice isn't, may not be going to another corporate America job. It may be starting that business that you always wanted to start. Or it may be, you know, I have a couple of friends who've left corporate America and they want to be stay at home moms for the next six to 12 months because they've saved a lot of money during COVID. Right. And they can afford to do that where they may not have been able to do that. Or some are walking away and, and being full time caregivers for, for aging parents um, or some are just taking sabbaticals because they're emotionally exhausted. Yeah, they're just done. Exactly. <laughs> right? And you know, what? I, th I think you put a really good addition onto something I just said. And I think actually it's important to tie the two together. Well, I mentioned that the, the power is in the, the workers' hands, but actually it's also in the hands of those great forward-thinking companies that have been able to lean forward. It's both, Absolutely. right? So the companies yes. that are doing, and it seem, I can already sense by your response that you are a leader that does things in the way that we're referring to. And then well, I'm also building a company myself and experiencing that by doing these things that we're talking about, I have high like high engagement and passion yes. from the people in my team. So it's like, if you get it the right way, it's quite easy to hire people and bring them into your company. You're on the good mm -hmm. side of this great reflection or great resignation. So, that's right. Yeah, I think it's it. That's really something that some people are missing in in the posts that we regularly see. It's it's both. It's the employees have got it good, but the company's getting it right. They're the ones with all the open jobs that are bringing everybody in, and and that's exactly people right. are happy. They're staying. So, I, I think. This ties into modernization and transformation, but in your role, there's a lot of um, strategy, you know, both providing the strategy, but also executing on it. So in this time, even prior to COVID, we were, we're always transforming, right? It's your business is growing all times. We're always modernizing, mm -hmm. but this era of uh, fast paced technology, the speed of technology changes very quickly, T new tools every, every mm -hmm. week, every month, people having to get new skills. What are some of the biggest uh, challenges that you've seen and been able to overcome uh, during this uh, enterprise modernization and transformation phase in your role? For me, it's more about, it, it's not necessarily about the technology, but it's about the transformation of the business and making sure um, that we are working on the right things, right? And so, you know, we've, we've gone through a, a, a reor, well, I'll, I'll kind of say a, a transformational um, reorg in the company. And the way we're, we've lined our business is very different than the way it was before we've, we've done that. And so then the question is, how do we support the enterprise in a different way while we're home and we're going through all of these changes that we're still dealing with? And then how do we make sure that we are leveraging our talent and our time um, on the things that really drive value to the organization. So you know and I know there's always a list of things to do, but are they the right list of things to do? 
What is the prioritization of those things to do? And when you're in an agile environment, you've also got to be able to pivot. So what was the top three things we needed to focus on last week? Maybe we need to focus on four or five and six this week, and we've got to be able to pivot. So it's not necessarily the technology, but it's really the agility. That's it, right? It's, it's being able to be agile determine what is the right thing to work on, where do we spend our time, our energy, and our talents, and being able to flex in a timely manner. I think that's more important than just the technology. Technology is an enabler of business processes. That's what it is, right? Whether we're coding in Java or coding in .NET, is still code. We're still enabling, right, a business process. But the key that I think oftentimes when, when people talk to technology folks is, the people aspect and the leadership aspect of it. It's how do I make sure that my folks are working on the right things? The technology, we can bring in new technology, but it's, it's, not, it's doing nothing more than enabling business processes, right? But how do I enhance how they work? How do I make sure they're working on the right things? How do we make sure we're, we're continuing to drive greater uh, ROI to the organization? And constantly being in line and in tune to what's important to help the organization meet the vision. That's the, that's the thing that's, cause you can get caught up in busy work and you can get caught up in what I call the shiny penny and you leave the, the wooden, I mean, you leave the rusted nickels on the floor. That's it. Right. This, right? this is something that I, I'm seeing constantly. So pretty much every SVP or CIO or CTO in a, in a large uh, bank or a yeah, medium to, to large size bank that I've spoken with, and actually just large enterprise is probably the easiest way to put it. They're always saying almost that same thing. It's like, yes, like technology enables, every, like we need technology to work and to be quick and to be modern, sure. But really like technology is made by processes and processes are made by people. And the people part, which is the culture, the, the actual communication, the collaboration to get the processes going, that's the part that we really need to get right. And we're consistently looking at how to improve that. So I think one example there you're talking about, well, there's two areas, prioritization, and then feedback loops. So you're, yes. You, yes, we can work on something that's the wrong thing. And interestingly, so for any folks who've listened to different podcasts here, you know, the likes of um, Larry Quinlan from Deloitte, the likes of uh, Tammy uh, Bryant Buto from Gremlin, their points were all, they were like, prioritization is everything. It constantly comes mm-hmm. up for us. We could work on making the best product or service ever, or, you know, for, for the, the thing that we think is the most urgent use case oh, but it didn't actually go into production. It never got used. Our customers didn't get any value from that. It didn't do anything. So you've now wasted people's time. And you've also got this negative impact on employee well-being because they've worked on something that didn't come into fruition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you, are you working on, do you have the, I always say, do you have the right people in the right seats on the bus? And are you going in the right direction? And you've <laughs> just got to constantly look. It's, it seems it's so important to get this prioritization right. I guess the question is, how do how do companies even do that? How do you go about finding out what is the priority in in with so many areas to look at across the company? Things like I'm imagining technology debt, infrastructure debt, process debt, like the, the things that are like the maintenance side of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got new processes and new use cases and customer demands. How do you actually figure out what is right and wrong? What kind of processes get put into place to determine that? 
Yeah. So, you know, the way we, well, first of all, it's, it, it really is driven by constant communication and collaboration across the organization, right? So I have some wonderful family members that I am connected to. So if we are having issues around infrastructure, we have a conversation and we figure out what we need to do. At the end of the day, my number one job is to make sure that our systems are stable. That's number one, right? You can't innovate anything if you don't have stability. So th that, that is, you know, really you just continuing to maintain and, and, and make sure. And so you have to build that into your plan. You have to build in the maintenance part into your plan and you have to collaborate and have conversations about the timing of when you're going to do it and how you're going to do it and make sure that we do no harm. Right. And then in addition to that, then you start talking about the innovative things and the things that may um, you've never done before and, and maybe drive a little bit more risk. And then you determine how you're going to mitigate that risk. But I think at the end of the day, you have to start with what are the key things that you're trying to do as an organization? So what are my company's goals? How do the projects and things that we have on the plate that we need to get done drive to that? Because we are working to make the company better, right? That is our goal. Um, and in addition to that, how do we do no harm? Right? How do we make sure? Because we're still responsible. I can't drive innovation with instability. And so you have to plan for it, right? You have to plan for it and you have to measure yourself as a leader by it. Regardless of whether the organization measures me or not, it's my responsibility. And it's something that I have to make sure that we plan for. And if we have to pivot, right? We understand what the risks are and we mitigate them and we keep moving. Right, that's it. It's, um, it's something that, is regularly hard to focus on it seems as in it's always a priority as in we're talking about the 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 maintenance and and the 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 mm -hmm. lag and the, the debt side of things here it's always a priority yet it's hard to focus on when there's new shiny things to do that seemingly create yes. more value more value seems better we're going to get mm -hmm. more out of this but you keep building more on 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 bad foundations that's then right. More becomes less eventually. So absolutely super important to do. But so I, I feel like I, I could definitely talk about the transformation modernization side all day long, but I always try to balance this, right? We've got our, our, our DevOps, which, you know, the people process technology aspect, and we've got our, um, our diversity side of the show as well. And mm -hmm. so we've touched briefly on you, you've cut your African-American woman, some of the challenges you've experienced uh, being in tech and being in financial services outside of work. Something that you and I have touched on previously off the podcast is being the first in your family and being that person that uh, it's often people really think, okay, I hired this person from a diverse background. That's his, I'm talking about like maybe some of our counterparts in work. We've hired this person and now we have the person we need to do this job and they're from a diverse background. How great. Now we can move on. But what they're not realizing is that the experience, it's not just the, the cognitive diversity, the fact that you're from a different background to some of your counterparts, also the experiences you still have to this day that you yes. deal with outside of work. So I think that's like, how do you, besides the fact that you actually have the mentors that you've mentioned, how else do you overcome this? The dealing with the, the being the first person in your family, being the leader that's in that situation you're in at work as well. Yeah. Um, so first I, I've I finally gotten to a place of acceptance, right? That this is the position that I'm in and, and I, I'm the first, but I'm not the last, right? So that now gives me more energy instead of me thinking of it as a burden, <laughs> 
and kind of carrying everyone on my back. I now view it as a blessing and, and an honor um, to help impact my legacy, our family um, tree, if you will, to move forward, right? Because there wasn't a Trina Hill who was in corporate or went to grad school or whatever in my family, right? So I've kind of set the tone, especially for the black, black women and girls in my family that I now have become kind of the representation of what is possible. Um, it is a lot to be the first. I, I think uh, other cultures may not understand, but typically when we're the first or the only at times, the financial burdens of, you know, people will, you know, kind of leverage you as a bank sometimes, or you're the person that they go to when there's a problem. Um, and, and they really lean into that leadership a lot, probably a lot more than those folks who haven't quote unquote made it. Um, they don't understand the, the struggle or the burden that comes with being in these places that are unfamiliar for to you, right? And, and how you're having to navigate. They view it as you're kind of just sitting behind a desk and you're just talking and someone's just gonna give you a title and a check when that is not true. There, there's a lot of things that they just, they, they don't understand and they may never understand. Um, and so one of the things that I've, I've, I've tried to do on both sides of the house. So with my mother, during COVID, she, she broke her foot and she moved in with us. She got to see it. She got to see how I work and, and the demands and also the blessings and the beauty and the laughter that, you know, that I get from uh, the joy that I get from, from my family members and my team, right? She got to see that. But it's not until she saw it that she really understood what I was carrying, right? And not only just the job, but also the dynamics of our household, a teenage son and then a husband and, and all of these things. Um, because in her generation, she had a nine to five. She clocked in, she clocked out. There was no cell phone. When she was off, she was off, right? Well, with us in tech, I always have a phone. There's always something going on, right? And so I've learned to make sure that my family sees, they get to view or get a, get a glimpse of what's going on in what they perceive to be this glamorous position on television where everything goes right, <laughs> right? And then the other part is letting my leaders know what's happening with me. So this year, again, when my mother broke her foot, I had a phenomenal leader um, who it happened. I emailed him, hey, this is what's happened with my mom. I'm probably gonna be out. Uh, that fall turned into her staying with us for six months. He was extremely helpful and very supportive. I still did my work. I still took her to her appointments. I did everything that I needed to do for her, but I was honest about what I needed from him and what I needed from the organization. And I think oftentimes as being a black person or a, definitely a black woman, a lot of times we're like, oh my God, I can't tell you what's going on personally in my life because you may not care. You may not care. But if you're my leader, it's my responsibility to come to you to tell you what I need in order for me to continue to be successful in my job. That, right. That's extreme. So re really what I'm taking from this, Trina, is transparency and honesty. If we can increase yes. that on every angle of our lives, it's only going to be a benefit. That's the real key here. Correct. Better communication. Yes. And, and also understanding that, look, if they don't support you, then you have to reflect and figure out, are you in the right place? Because if your family, which my family is, my faith and my family are very important to me. And if the organization won't support that, then I probably don't need to work for that organization. 
yeah, probably well, need to go well somewhere put. else. That's very well put, right? right? Yeah, you're in the wrong place right? at that point. I'm in the wrong place, right? And 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 the money is is no longer the biggest factor here. And I know some would probably say, well, Trina, you're a senior vice president, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I can't do that. Yes, you can, You but you get to choose. So you get to choose whether you work at a company that's not going to support you and what is important for you, for you to show up as your full self at work, or you get to choose to leave, but it's your choice. And so I think we have to understand that we have greater choice than we think we do. And people will help you if you ask, because guess what? My leader has gone through some of the same stuff I'm going through right now, right? That particular leader, I have a different leader now, but that particular leader could understand and have compassion because he's gone through some of the same things with his parents, right? But we don't talk. We show up as positions instead of people. And we've got to stop doing that. And especially as Black people, we definitely feel like we have to be perfect. We, we were raised to be perfect. We, we no longer can carry the burden of perfection. We can operate in excellence. And that's not a Black thing. That should be everybody's responsibility is to show up excellent. But we've got to show people that we're human. Because I could have put my face on and struggled at home with my mom getting her where she needed to be and probably like drove people crazy or paid people to drive my mother back and forth to her doctor's appointments and showed up at work as if nothing was wrong. But that wouldn't have made my heart feel good. I would have felt still feel I would have showed up for the company a certain way, but I would have felt like I failed my, my family. Right. I could have chosen that route. He would have never known. But I didn't choose that route because I made a decision that me driving to my mother to her doctor's appointments and making sure she got the level of care that I knew I had to advocate for was more important than me trying to kill myself to be in front of a camera every day on a call when I could have taken the call at my car in the car and just had a conversation with my boss about. Yeah, exactly. So just be just being real about what's going on, bringing that that full self to to work, being bringing your human side, your entire life, uh, and and it's not a burden. It's actually what you've really said there is by doing these things, you've increased your sense of well being. You've been okay with yourself, and you knew you balanced things. You still were productive. You still got everything done that you needed to. And where there was times other people may have needed to step in or support you, they knew what they were doing and why they were doing it because they had a greater yes. understanding of what was going on. And, and back to something you, you said a moment ago about the, um, the home life and things like some of your, your family or, or people outside of work uh, thinking of you as a bank. This is actually something I hear and see a lot and I've experienced as well. And it was actually interesting. I was having a conversation. It was with my own dad and he, he's, he, he grew up in, uh, well, he's a, he's a black man in, in the UK and um, mm. you know, he's also been the first, he wasn't college educated, but he had, he built a business for himself and was often the only one in the room. And then his mm. family outside of that, but you know, we're from a, a low income background initially. So mm-hmm. he's got people knocking on his door, you know, you're successful now, give me something. And even one of my team that this just last week, we were having dinner talking about exactly this. It's hard. I'm trying to really enjoy working here and doing this. And then I've got my family asking me for this outside of work. Mm-hmm. This con- And then you flip that on its head. And I also want people to know, we're not complaining about this. We, we know that no. this is our life. We, we also, <laughs> we're just sharing our truth and our real world. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we're like, we wish it was all different. We, we got what we got and we're working with that. And it's awesome at the same time, right? It's our family, it's our friends, yeah. it's our life. Absolutely. But you flip that and you say, 
both of your parents are lawyers or surgeons and have had amazing salaries and all of your family expects you to go to the best school and all of your family has a better car, a better house and a better Mm -hmm. financial situation than you coming out of college. That's a very different situation to being like, I've broken the boundary and now my own older family are asking for things from me. They're asking for financial support from me. That's a very different thing to balance in having a job and having that outside of work. So I think for for folks that don't understand what we're talking about, it doesn't mean we we expect anything from you in our work world. I think it just means that maybe learn a bit more about our lives and and we can share what we're up to. And then we have this greater understanding of where we're all coming from and, and what we're experiencing in and out of work. Absolutely. And and there is a dynamic that we, you know, again, I talked about, you know, my mom, right? So I have friends that had different means, like their parents, right, just had more money and and had better insurance. And, and quite frankly, they, they were, they're white people who never thinks about when they go into the doctor's office, if the doctor is not going to give them the best care. That is not a burden that they carry. That is not a, they don't, they don't worry about their copay. They don't worry about whether they're not going to get the right care. They don't worry about if the doctor is going to actually read their chart or not when they go in. That's real for us. That is real, right? So in addition to the copays that add up as, as you know, the seniors in my family are um, aging, they're on fixed incomes. So in some, you know, times me and my husband, we are Medicare and Medicaid. And we step in and we help to take care of their co-pays or their medications because they don't have the funds. They didn't have the same resources or opportunities that, that we have today. But in addition to the financial piece, it's also the intellectual piece that comes with it. Because like I said, when my mother went to the doctor, I was well-versed in what she needed and I had to advocate for her. My father um, had two strokes uh, earlier this year and he was in the hospital for two weeks and I stayed with him for two weeks. You know, again, luckily I worked for a good company that was very supportive, but I spent the majority of my time understanding their system, understanding how I needed to advocate for him. If I had not been there and did not have the knowledge in the network, they would have released him. He probably would have had another stroke and died alone. And so my white counterparts oftentimes don't have to think about that because, and I'm not saying it's completely true on every, in every single instance, but what I will tell you is the amount of time and energy I had to spend to advocate for my father to stay in the hospital for 24 more hours, my counterparts probably would not have had to do that because they would not have dismissed his symptoms, right? Right. They wouldn't have done that. They would have, they would have completely assur- felt assured and affirmed that when he said he had a pain, that he had that pain versus them trying to interrogate my father during that time and me having to say, wait a minute, right? So the burn, and I, I shouldn't say that the thing that we carry extra is the financial responsibility, the emotional responsibility, as well as the intellectual responsibility because in these corporate spaces, the beauty about being in these spaces is they've taught us how to navigate systems yes, and to yes. network with people. And so it doesn't matter if I'm in the healthcare system or I'm at the dealership with you know, one of my parents talking about their car, I know how to advocate on their behalf because now I understand the system. But if I'm not there, they may not get that care where my counterparts don't necessarily have to be there because they may have the means 
or people just won't question whether they're telling them the truth or not. Exactly. This is so well put, Trina. I think you're, you're nailing this. Like the, it, it's on, it's, you've got the business savvy. It's, it's all, th- it's political. It's how do you get around and make sure that you, you don't upset that, that car mechanic while also getting what you want and also yes. advocating for other people that same in the doctors, same in the uh, hospital and, and, and the list goes on. So it really is that. And you've, you've got to carry a lot of that with being one of the first or, or breaking boundaries in your own family. But then I think what's awesome about it that you've also shared is you know you're a leader and it's very clear talking to you, you are a leader and you do represent and you're not afraid to share your own experiences. You are authentic, right? The fact that you've been mm-hmm. saying these things on, on our show today and that's what people need. Then, like you said, the, the younger uh, women and girls in your family who are looking up to you are like, it's, it's now normal that they see mm-hmm. someone, Auntie Trina, or, you know, it, it is mm-hmm. now the, the person who's an SVP in a fintech, right? We, right? we can be that. That's very normal because who else would be that SVP there? It's going to be us one day, right? So you've opened this door, you also give back and you share. And I think that's really important to kind of coach others, mentor them and give that experience too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Listen, we, we, we can change the dynamics when we have representation at the table. Um, and, and Connor, you can, you, you know, the picture that you see on LinkedIn, I am on LinkedIn. Um, I typically would wear my hair straight. And this year I decided to get braids. And the reason I did that is because if, as I thought about little girls, little black girls who would see me in the store, they would have braids. And if I want them to feel that they too can be a kick butt black girl who's in tech, then I need to look like them. Some of them may have straight hair because I would wear my hair straight all the time, but a lot of them have braids. Representation matters, not just color, but even when it, it comes to our hair. Can I be that? Do I have to look that way? Do I have to talk that way? Do I have to walk that way? Do I have to dress that way? We're diverse and there's beauty, beauty in the diversity, but we need to show, show them different facets of what they can be. They don't have to be one thing. They can, they can look any kind of way. As long as you're bringing value, you can show up and be who you, who you are. You know, I love NDRE back in the day. She, she, you know, had the song, I'm not my hair. That's true. My value is greater than my hair. Your value is greater than your hair. Um, but I think we have to be intentional about continuing to force people to see us in different facets so that we redefine what professional is. And we also tell the little girls that they too can be what they see. I I think that if anyone is listening and doesn't understand what we're referring to when we talk about hair, I think it's important that you actually... speak to more black people and understand what we're referring to because if you're actually speaking if you are black or or have friends that are black or family that are black then you will also understand exactly what we're referring to so i can relate on a thousand percent with what you're saying right now as someone that when i was young so all of my high school i had my hair in cornrows and Mm. it's interesting because that during that time it's like oh you're the black kid and then I actually one day took my, my cornrows out and went to school with my full hair, which was really big. It was a very big Afro at the time. It doesn't even, you wouldn't think that I could grow it like that now when you see my hair, but it was huge. And um, mm-hmm. I basically got sent home from school 
and it got oh, cut. Wow. And I remember arguing with the person that sent me home saying the other kids, I, I was, it was, I was the only black kid, a boy in my school. And I'm actually mixed race, but um, there was one other black girl and it was me. And that's the whole entire school. And so oh, I God. said, why are those other children allowed to have their long hair? but I can't have my long hair. This is natural. This is just, you don't, mm. you're not used to it. You're not comfortable with it. But what that taught me at about maybe 14 years old or 15 years old, it coded into me that my hair was wrong and that is the wrong mm. thing to have. And I remember going to work in at 21, leaving university and starting my first career job. And I remember thinking like, I can't really have my curly hair because that's not mm. what people want to see. So I always kept my hair short. And then I look, you know, being light skin as well, I, I look much more like my white side for those years mm -hmm. of my career. And actually only during COVID, only when we started working from home, when I saw everyone else started to wear their hair naturally, I was like, I can grow my curls back out. This is totally mm -hmm. normal to have curly hair and I'm going to do this. And I want to hundred percent represent, and I want to make sure that anyone that's a, a mixed race boy or a black boy coming mm -hmm. up through the yes. school, through university, early years of their career, you can also be a CEO at 29 years old, you can yes. get investment in your company, you can grow it. And it, I, I have pictures now with politicians here in Miami with my curly hair and my suit. And I'm like, I'm repping right now. Right? <laughs> yes, you are. You like, are repping. I gonna, love it. It's like, I'm not changing that now. I'm never, I'm not going to the, I, I want everyone to know that you could exactly what you've said. We can be ourselves and it doesn't mean somehow we're, we're any different. We're just being our full selves. And we actually feel closer to our culture by doing that. And it's nice for us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me also just let me also go back to the quote, <laughs> um, because, again, I am fortunate to work for a company where hair is not a big thing. Right. Um, diversity, inclusion, again, and belonging is important. It's a part of our DNA. If you work in a company where you know that they are not going to be receptive of that, then again, you must ask yourself are you in the right place? That's Again, right. if you cannot be where you, if you can't be who you are, where you are, don't change who you are, change where you are. Or if you decide to change who you are, that it is your choice and that you understand the consequence of said choice. That's right. That's, that's the quote to remember. That's the, that's the question right. to be asking yourself. So, yes. so speaking of questions, we've hit our three quick fire questions that I've got to, okay. got to give you now. So um, number one, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing you tell young, your younger self on day one of their first job? I would say that all things work together for your good. The good as well as the bad. Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? Integrity. I can teach you skill, can't teach you integrity. Can I trust you? That's so important. Yeah. Number three, what is the most effective strategy that you believe can improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in enterprise organizations? You know, I would, I would say um, creating a culture where building relationships with people who are willing to have honest conversations with each other, even if they don't agree. And I know that sounds a little radical, but relation, once people build relationships, the things that separate us, they don't matter. So when you develop a good relationship with me, I'm no longer the black woman in tech, I'm Trina. 
and the color of my skin no longer, it, you're, you're not going to view it as a, as a um, liability, but an asset because that's a part of who I am. Um, and if you are a white man who may not even like black people and we develop a relationship, then although I may not agree with you, I can respect you and we can continue to learn from one another. It is okay for us not all to agree, but we have to get to a place where we're willing to have conversations and develop relationships so we can learn from each other. I'm so with you and I actually don't think it's radical. It may be, this may be radical what I, what I think on this side, but I've been saying recently that I imagine that if we got even the most opposing views in the country together over a coffee or maybe a beer or a glass of wine, whatever it needs to be, have a conversation in the same location with no screaming, no shouting, but an honest conversation, I think that most people would actually realize we're just people, we've all got our own problems and we can get on and we can learn from each other, but we're very far from that dialogue at the moment and the closer we can get to there, I think the more we do increase diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging and everything in between. Absolutely. You can't change what you don't understand. That's right. So Trina, I have loved talking to you. I think you've brought everything to the table today and you're a, a massive inspiration for people that are coming after you in, in the industry and in life in general. So thank you so much for sharing and being authentic and being real with us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank. And today's episode was brought to you by Strategio. 